Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat them up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be discussing the Elton John musical biopic, Rocket Man. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, what is your favorite Elton John song? I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from Chicago, and my favorite Elton John song is Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, because it's loud and it's fast. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I am Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And as a tried and true, almost famous fan, I have to say that Tiny Dancer is my favorite Ellen John song, <laughs> even though it's a very it's a, cliched answer. It's a very close uh, second, I think, for just about everybody. <laughs> sure, absolutely. And then we are so happy to have back on the pod um, our dear friend, Ben. Ben, please introduce yourself. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Lucas. Hi, everybody. Uh, hi. I'm Ben Weaver. Uh, I'm a filmmaker and a screenwriter in Austin, Texas. And as somebody who's identified as William Miller from Almost Famous for the majority of my life, I also <laughs> have to say that... Tiny Dancer is my favorite Elton John song. I mean, this is this is what brought Ben and I together, and that's not the last you'll hear of that tonight. So let's oh we'll my just, gosh. just get ready for it. I can't wait to get into it. We'll save all of that talk about Elton John and his music for later in the episode, because first, I want to know what you guys are feeling this week. Lucas, what are you feeling? I am feeling the Amazon Prime TV show Good Omens. Um, if you have read the book Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, this is the this is the TV adaptation that got it right. I feel like their work is very difficult to adapt um, and have that same style. Um, and this does such a good job. It is absolutely amazing. It's six episodes long. Um, it stars David Tennant and Michael Sheen as an angel and a demon um, who have been on Earth the entire time and end up trying to stop the apocalypse from happening. It is ridiculous, it is hilarious, and it's really sweet to watch their friendship form over 6,000 years. So, um, <laughs> uh, oh, and, it play, and Francis McDormand plays God, which is just awesome. Oh, I, um, wow, I didn't yeah, know that. It's <laughs> I, I highly recommend this show to everybody. I absolutely love everything that they're doing here. It, it's very... Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but more of the book version than the uh, uh, movie version. It's very funny. It's very weird. Um, and I just love everybody involved in it. Everybody does a really fantastic job. And it's kind of quirky and it looks kind of cheap. Um, but that's kind of what I love about it is just kind of it. It's, it's done by people who absolutely love the source material. And uh, you can't get much better than that. Have you guys read the book or seen the show? No. I haven't read the book, but I did watch the show. I binged it over a weekend. Yay! Yeah. What'd you think? I loved it. I think the show, it really is the perfect thing to binge all in one weekend. Um, just mm -hmm. to like set yourself in for, set yourself in and get ready for the ride. Um, I really loved this, Lucas. I thought it was very, very clever, as Neil Gaiman tends to be. Yep. Um, it was like slick when it needed to be, 
in, in really fun yes. and, and exciting <laughs> ways. Um, and but most of all, I thought it was very sweet. Um, yeah. The primary story is about, like you said, this friendship between this angel and a demon. That's just a very, really sweet story. It it reads as a friendship, but like a very romantic friendship at, in in a certain way. And um, in addition to like that being the primary story, all the side plots that are happening because there's a lot of characters that cross paths yes. um, when it when it comes to the end of the world. Um, there's an underlying sweetness to all of these stories. The way characters talk to each other and their motives and um, the, the the idea that like goodness could possibly win and that goodness doesn't mean heaven either. That like goodness is something kind of that overreaches all of heaven and hell. Um, I thought it was just like a lovely little story. And I'm also a real sucker for like uh, angels feeling like humans and, and angels having to deal with humans and viewing yeah. angels as characters um, that are also just as confused about everything as we are. Um, I, I'm a sucker for any story that incorporates stuff like that. So I really, really loved it. Yeah. I think that sweetness is a very important part of it is just, and it, again, like you said, more than just those two main characters, but it's truly about um, really just loving the people around you. Um, and I, I, it's, I thought they handled it really, really well. Uh, yeah. I mean, and I think everyone in it is pretty great, but David Tennant really steals the show <laughs> in this. His, Doesn't he always? His costuming. I mean, he yeah, does, yeah. definitely. But the the added flair of his costuming and getting to be the as stereotypical of a bad boy as you could possibly come up with because he is a demon <laughs> Uh, was just delicious. I loved every second of it. It was, and he plays it completely as as loud as you can get it. He is he's really going for it, which is awesome. Yeah. But again, it's only six episodes long, which I think is perfect. Um, that's Good Omens. It's on Amazon Prime. Definitely check it out. So, Lucas, um, you've read the book. You've said right. I have. Yes. And so, is there a sequel to the book? There's not. Um, as far as I know, Does, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. Um, <laughs> no, I, I thought you were about I'm to asking. spring that there was a sequel. No. And I was like, oh man, I haven't read no, it. No, I was no, yes. truly asking. The reason I ask is because I'm very curious if this show um, was setting us up for a second season or not. It was kind of you know unclear. Yeah. Yeah, I think it could. I didn't know if there was further material that was waiting to be developed. There's, there's not. It could do the the Big Little Lies situation where you base the first season off of the book, and right? Freestyle it, whatever you want for the second well, one. Um, but I don't, I don't think they're gonna do that. I mean, I wouldn't be mad at it if Neil Gaiman was involved. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, yeah. If, like he's, if, he, if he's, if he's, if he wants to write these things, I am down to watch as many of them as as he wants to produce. But um, it seemed to me like he was very interested in just doing this. Uh, because Terry Pratchett, the other author of the book, has died, I think it's something that he felt like he wanted to adapt, uh, but not kind of go past at all. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you for bringing that up. I'm glad that there was someone else that had seen it that I could chat about it with. Yes. Um, Ben, what are you feeling this week? Well, this week, uh, up until yesterday, I was feeling the NBA Finals, but something momentous happened yesterday that I had to switch and I got to talk about. Um, so yesterday, uh, Radiohead put online 16 hours of unreleased, uh, audio. And a lot of it was, um, like live sessions, um, like stereo, uh, studio stuff, um, like rehearsals 
outtakes, live performances, all this different stuff um, from leading up to their 1997 release of the album OK Computer. And the reason they did this is because some person, some terrorist, hacked into their system, got those tapes, and held them for ransom for $150,000, saying he was going to release them unless he got the money. And so Radiohead, being Radiohead, was like, nah, fuck it. We're just going to put these online and donate all the money to this climate change organization. Um, And Radiohead fans everywhere went nuts. It's really incredible because the album itself has been lauded as, you know, a really a watershed album, really important. And it's really cool to get to see the creative process of a lot of the songs that got onto the album, but also a lot of the songs that didn't make the album to see how songs changed. Um, There have been some really fastidious Radiohead fans who started a Google Doc and they've annotated with timestamps every single moment and put notes on it about what's going on and what's new. And it's, it's, so intense. Uh, and if you're interested at all, Pitchfork has done a really cool article about it where they basically talk about the highlights, um, like the big takeaways. Um, and there are things like, uh, you know, songs that were that radio had played for two decades that they never released were on these tapes. And you get to see different versions of that, like Lift and uh, I Promise and uh, True Love Waits. And, uh, but you also get to see all these like different variations on songs and like extended outros and different lyrics and different verses and choruses. Uh, it's really exciting. And as somebody who loves the creative process in any form, I just loved getting to see, uh, behind the curtain on this one. Uh, Lucas, Sandra, are either of y'all Radiohead fans have any experience with OK Computer? I wouldn't call myself a Radiohead fan, but I do like that album and have listened to it many times. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, I know who Radiohead is, but other than that, I don't really engage with them any in any ways. So I don't have any positive or negative feelings towards them. They're really heady and they're really like up their own ass, but they make great music. And um, this was just such a treat for... I. I did the stereotypical white guy thing where I went to college, smoked weed and found Radiohead and they're really great. And this was such a treat to me um, and such a treat uh, to start the week off of. So if you have any interest in this band at all, um, go check them out. If you just want to glance, go check out Pitchfork. Their website is basically being dominated by this leak right now. So you won't have any trouble finding it. And that is what I'm feeling this week. I would say even if you're not a huge fan of of the OK Computer album, like seeing this is really, really fun because if you're if you are interested in kind of behind the scenes stuff, I loved behind the scenes features on DVDs growing up, Mm -hmm. just seeing kind of the making the process of movies. Um, And you never get that with albums like you never get that with music. Um, Totally. And I and I think getting to see this is really, really fun. So even though I'm not a huge fan of Radiohead, getting to watching kind of the deconstruction and then going back and listening to you know all the versions of these songs is so much fun to see it, it, it's so. been really cool um today at work i had a lot of like mindless work i had to do so i just put it on in the background and it was really great background music it really took you from like the studio to live performances back to the studio to you know tom york just fiddling away on his piano and uh yeah, it's been really great. Well, I'm really happy for you, Ben. Like, that does sound... If, I know that if there was an artist I adored and, like, mm-hmm. hours of, that like, hidden tapes became released, I would be in it. I would be excited. What artist would that be? What would you? Who would you go nuts for? 
if they I had mean, released tapes. Taylor Swift is definitely at the top of the list. Um, mm-hmm. Bleachers is up there. Um, who else? Well, I was actually going to bring this up. Uh, there's a video of Taylor Swift that I love. Did you see it? It was her at the piano when she was working up out uh, delicate. Was it delicate? Um, it's basically, it's like time jumps over like four different days. Her like playing with melody, uh, just trying to write the lyrics for uh, that song. Is it delicate? I think it is. Do you know what I'm talking about, Sandra, or no? I haven't seen this, no. It's incredible. I'm going to send it to you. She did a bunch of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff for uh, her album, and it's incre- It's basically this. Yeah. I'll, I'll find the link and send it to you. It's she amazing. She has released she every is... now and then. She has yes, released, say, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, with 1989, my favorite of her albums, mm-hmm. she released these, like, clips of her, you know, workshopping a few of the songs and, like, voice memos she, was, she had left for herself or for other people or, mm-hmm. you know, writing sessions with, you know, Max Martin and things like that. And those are always great to hear. But um, a whole library of them and not just a few select, like, PR-approved um, clips, I think would be exciting. Oh, it's yeah. it was, sorry, it was for Gorgeous. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to send it um, to you. Well... I'm really, I'm really happy that you got that. Um, oh, thanks. What are you feeling this week? <laughs> well, what I'm feeling this week is a recently released romantic novel um, called Red, White, and Royal Blue. Um, <laughs> ben is cheering because I recommended this book to him, and I believe you started it, right, Ben? Oh, I'm like three-fourths of the way through. Okay, wonderful. Um, so let me give you some backstory on this novel. So this is the debut novel from author Casey McQuiston. And Casey is someone who I have known via the internet. I, we, I would not call us close and personal friends, but like I've known their work via the internet um, for like years now. And I've always loved her writing and just been a fan from afar. And uh, this is her first, you know, published debut novel. And it's been so exciting to see someone who you admire from like Twitter or Tumblr or whatever kind of social media like platforms you, you, you participate in to see someone that you like know from that sphere, um, have such great success is really a cool thing to witness. And that is kind of my journey with Casey in this book. Um, I followed her on Twitter, like as she was writing this book. So I got to kind of see from, from, from her public, you know, voice of what the process of writing this book was like. It was very exciting. So um, I definitely have a personal, a little bit of a personal connection to this book in addition to just loving it as a novel. Um, so the premise of Red, White, and Royal Blue is it is a new, it's in the genre new adult, um, meaning it's based on characters that are kind of in their like early 20s. And the, the main character, his name is Alex Claremont Diaz, and he is the first son, um, meaning the first son of the United States. His mom is the first female president of the United States. And he has this rivalry with a fictional um, prince of England. And because of political and social, uh, you know, reasons, the two of them have to pretend to be friends in the public, and that turns into something more, as all great rom-coms do. And so it's a really delightful story about 
being a young person, about wrestling with your sexuality, about meeting someone who like blows your socks off, as well as um, a really optimistic, exciting portrayal of what it means to like be a person in the public eye and what it means to care about your country and want to do good via politics and via a public platform. And it's just a really lovely, delightful novel. Um, I read it all at one sitting because I loved it so much. And there are so many lines in this novel that I had to highlight as I was reading it because Casey is an amazing writer. Here's the thing, just to be completely upfront, I read a lot of romance novels. It's my favorite genre <laughs> of book, but not all of them are great. There's a lot of times when I'm reading one, and it's like, ugh, this is just, this is a fine premise, but this is bad writing. This book, I believe, is incredibly well written. Casey has such a great way with words and creating very specific characters and really putting you in the place that the book is set in. Um, the main character is from Texas, which, you know, really warms my heart. So there's a lot of scenes that evoke Texas and what it is like to be in Texas. And I really felt transported back to home throughout reading this, as well as being in London and, and Washington, D.C. and all these other places that these characters go to. Um, but like I said, I was highlighting so many different lines in this book because so many of them meant a lot to me. And one that I think really kind of sums up the nature of this book really well, I want to read to y'all. It says, When Alex was a kid, before anyone knew his name, he dreamed of love like it was a fairy tale, as if it would come sweeping into his life on the back of a dragon one day. When he got older, he learned about love as a strange thing that could fall apart no matter how badly you wanted it, a choice you make anyway. He never imagined it turned out he was right both times. And those are the types of love stories that I really fall for. And that's the type of love story that this book is. So it has, it came out, um, I want to say about a month ago. It's already made the New York Times bestsellers list. I believe it's already been optioned um, to become a movie by Amazon. This book is like hitting the crowds like wildfire. And so take a moment, buy it on, buy it on Amazon, buy it at your local indie bookstore, check it out at the library. Um, it, you won't, it's the perfect summer read. And so Ben, I really want to hear how you're feeling about it. I've taught, I blabbered on so much. No, not at all. You said so many great things. Uh, one of the things that you said that was really, uh, important was the, the strength of the writing. And she, she came through in so many different ways. Uh, the first way is the gay relationship in this story is spot on in every way. The way that she talks about the way that they think about each other, the way they interact, the way that they, uh, you know, they let on that they like each other, but don't actually say it. All of the little subtle glances and uh, double entendres and all that stuff is just so perfect. And I was so pleased to see representation in this book. Um, another thing that she did really well was that she writes so well and she captures technology really well. Like the yeah. way that people text are in group text, the way that a text, the way that a text is worded can mean different things. And we all know that, but I feel like a lot oftentimes in pop culture, they don't get it right. Or it's a couple years behind specifically in movies. They've had a hard time adapting to technology in our current lives. But somehow, and maybe it's because we're reading and, and it's on the page, she translated perfectly these characters' interactions with technology, and it felt real, and it felt of the moment, and I loved it. 
Um, She's also really great at like incorporating very current pop culture into like the story and the people, the way people talk with each other in a way that feels very current, but that I also think is what will make sense to future generations. Totally. Um, As I've been reading this and I want to ask this about you, Sandra, um, I wonder, do you imagine anyone specifically playing these characters? That's a really great question because, um, Again, like I said, I've been following Casey on Twitter as she was writing this book. So I kept hearing about this book. She would tweet about it all the time. And um, so because of that, she would oftentimes tweet the the people that she would envision as playing these characters. Um, Sandra, I need you to tell me who she said. <laughs> well, I don't know. Not all of them were like famous actors. Some of them were. Some of them were like models, you know, that she would see in a picture in a magazine and be like, this person is what my Henry looks like. You know what I mean? Things like that. There's one. Okay. Parti- I, I think a lot of them have some flexibility, um, but there's one particular that I think I think it enhances your reading experience if you can picture this actress as this role. And she envisions Connie Britton as the first female president of the United States, as Alex's mom. Perfect. And it's a perfect casting. Yeah. Incredible. Wonderful. I will say, like I mentioned, there's a lot of pop culture in this book. And one thing that's really cool is that Casey really is like a tried and true millennial. You know, she is a young person that has written a book about young people. And so there's lots of music referenced in this book that um, that Casey has made Spotify playlists for every character in the book that you can look, you can follow on Spotify and think this is an Alex playlist, this is a Henry playlist, this is a um, June playlist, and all of her characters she has playlists like curated for them, and that's just been such a fun supplemental thing to go through her Twitter feed and see all of her, like the extended universe of this book that's in her mind. Um, I've, I've listened to some, I've gotten some great new music to listen to through that. Oh, that's so Um, cool. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Lucas, I do want to mention something to you. I know that romance novels are probably not like your typical reading fair. Um, but I would be very interested to hear what you thought of this novel as someone who is very interested in the royal family. <laughs> yeah, that's my in for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I I saw this book pop up in my library app um, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, oh, this actually might get me to read this without anybody's recommendation. So just reading the yeah, <laughs> reading the description, I was like, I might have to read this. So it, it's very- with you guys as both of you guys' recommendations. I think I'm going to have to do it. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. It has, you know, obviously it's kind of this fictional alternate timeline where Trump did, didn't get elected and this, you know, fictional... Connie Britton did. And Connie Britton did. <laughs> and then it also has this kind of fictional royal family where Casey takes a lot of the real English royal family history and then at one point... And, and, once on Twitter, she kind of like showed where she broke off the family tree to start creating this new fictional line. Um, but there's a fictional Queen of England and child of the Queen of England and then prince and princesses that, you know, are the heirs that um, we get to meet and learn about. And it's it's a really cool expo- exploration of British royal history as well as what does that look like to be a British royal in 2019? 
Um, so I, I had a, I had a blast reading it. I, I read it a few months ago when I got an advanced copy and I just reread it this week because I loaned, um, my copies out to friends. And immediately, as soon as I did, I had a hankering to read it for myself. So I bought it again on Kindle (laughs) and read it really quickly. And I loved it even more the second time around. So that's what I'm feeling this week. Next, we're going to move on to our one of my favorite segments, In or Out, where we look at trailers that have come out recently and we quickly decide whether we are in or out on this upcoming movie. What is it? You're either in or you're out. Right now. So the first trailer that I want us to talk about is Ad Astra. Now, this stars Brad Pitt, uh, Liv Tyler, Tommy Lee Jones, Ruth Nega, Donald Sutherland, um, and it's about an astronaut and a mystery and a father and a planet that's about to <laughs> that might be in yeah. danger. Um, this this is directed by James Gray, also, mm-hmm. um, who directed Lost City of Z and The Immigrant most recently. Um, he is fantastic. Every time I watch one of his movies, I think, oh, man, you're not making movies for today, are you? You're making movies for, like, the 60s and the 70s. Like, that's, like, the style that he's really mm. going for. Yeah. So his movies don't make a lot of money, <laughs> but they're really, really great and really, really beautiful. And so I'm very curious to see what he does with, like, a space epic. Um so I, I'm definitely in on this. And obviously, because Brad Pitt's in it too, so there's nothing. See, that's what gets me <laughs> in on this movie. I've seen, the, I've seen the trailer. It looks interesting, but not like a movie that I'd be pumped to see, I would say. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It definitely looks mysterious and intriguing, but a Brad Pitt starring role will get me in the theater. So totally. I, I'm he's, in on this one. He's such a leading man, and he has been for decades. Um, but... I mean, unfortunately for me, what? We got space. We got fathers. What original ideas? Never seen those before. <laughs> Y'all, I'm, I'm put out. them together. I am out <laughs> on this movie. I saw Gravity. I saw Sandra Bullock and Clooney in space. That's all I needed. I don't need I don't need to see Brad Pitt talk about his dad. I don't need to see some sort of mystery. I don't need to see the shots of the earth from above. We've yeah. seen that. That's fine. I will uh, say... I don't watch a lot of space movies. Like I, other than like space operas, you know, I don't, first man is the, is one of the only space movies I've seen in a long time. Mm. See, space movies are really a tradition in cinema for like pretentious, uh, full of themselves directors. You get Kubrick, you get Tarkovsky. And ever since then, everybody's been trying to make their space movie. And I don't know. I think we're interested. Let's stay on the ground. We got a lot of interesting stuff going on here. (laughs) Let's do that instead. (laughs) I'm out on this one. Okay. So then the next movie trailer that I want us to talk about is Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, Or no, I'm sorry. My apologies. It's Ford v. Ferrari. Um, (laughs) You gotta get it right. (laughs) Gotta get it right. Directed by... It's the sequel to Batman v. Superman. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Directed by James Mangold. It stars Christian Bale, Matt Damon, John Bernthal, uh, Tracy Letts. That's where you can stop. Yeah. Okay. Um, It's really just Matt Damon and and Christian Bale. Sure. Um, Lucas, you've seen this trailer, right? I have seen the trailer. How are you feeling? Are you in or out? I'm in based on the fact that we've got Christian Bale, Matt Damon, and James Mangold making Mm. a movie. I hate car movies. I hate racing movies. Um, 
And so like this whole thing I think is not interesting to me at all, but seeing these three people work together, I'm very curious about how this is going to go. So I'm in hesitantly. Ben, what about you? So I don't know. I think it, the trailer gives it this vibe of like a two lane blacktop, but it could be in the same world as, you know, like a Logan Lucky, but like it's older brother where it's not as funny, but kind of funny. And I don't know. I think, you know, movies about fathers and sons are all the rage forever, and I'm kind of tired of them. So I think I might be out on this one too. Yeah. Sorry to be a wet blanket. <laughs> it's a very, this is like a very mask trailer. In fact, I don't mm-hmm, know that there is. is even a single woman in this trailer. Um, no. <laughs> and so uh, here's what I'll say. The trailer alone does not make me excited. There are two things, though, that might get me in on this movie. One is the fact that Christian Bale gets to do his natural accent. We almost never oh, get to see true. that ever true. in film. And I want to see that. I, I do love watching Christian Bale. And so that aspect of this film does excite me. And he looks, he, he every moment that he has in this movie is, you know, magnetic. Or in this trailer, I should say, is it magnetic. The second thing that might make me in on this movie is it is coming out around Thanksgiving. And this seems like the perfect kind of movie that I could stand watching, but that my dad would also like. And mm, that's a very that a good slim sliver on a Venn diagram. <laughs> and so um, the fact that like this is the kind of movie you can take your dad to seems like a really good play for the holiday season. Yeah, and I did want I did a little research while we were looking at this. Uh, there is a, a woman in this trailer. She's in it for three different shots for a total of three seconds. She is <laughs> hugging, kissing, and looking. So oh, just wanted to make sure representation best. is there. That's what we do best then. <laughs> we hug and we look and we kiss. And, and I'm just really glad she got to fulfill that role. <laughs> She's the V in Ford V for <laughs> Yeah, she really is. <laughs> yeah, okay. So yeah, the last one is The Goldfinch. Um, this uh, starring Nicole Kidman, Sarah Paulson, and Ansel Elgort. Um, this is about a kid who loses his mother in a terrorist attack. And Ben, this is a mother's mother movie, not a mother's and son. There you go. Yes. Mother's and son. Um, and gets adopted by another family, Nicole Kidman. Um, so it's exactly like lion. If you saw that movie. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so this movie is, I think the first, um, I think Oscar bait trailer that I've seen so far of the year. Um, I think Ford v Ferrari could be an Oscar bait movie, but I think this trailer specifically mm. was really showing off. Oh, I forgot to mention Jeffrey Wright is in this. Yes. Um, but showing off him and Nicole Kidman, um, I think they're going to be be players in the. So in the Lucas, Oscar did you read this book? I am like so close to being done with this book. <laughs> I'm almost finished right now. Are you liking yeah. it? I really do. It's it's very interesting. Have you read it? No, no. I just figured you would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a story that's told like over a very long period of time. So I don't think it's gonna um, match exactly with the with the movie. Um, so I'm ex- I'm very excited to see kind of how they handle it. So but this... it's it's there's lots of ways that uh, that uh, Jeffrey Wright and Nicole Kidman can act their hearts out in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) This trailer got a lot of um, some negative attention because I heard some criticism of Ansel Elgort and like his, I think kind of monotonous uh, acting in this trailer. Um, I'm a big Ansel Elgort fan. I think, Mm. I think he's like pretty talented and I think people give him a lot of shit because 
He, outside of his film career, he can do some sometimes cringeworthy things, like his attempt at pop stardom. Um, that I actually Wait, kind of what? I kind of liked, I don't even know though it's that. embarrassing. Um, we'll talk about that in another episode. I'm just saying I'm an Ansel Elgort fan, and I have faith in him, and so I'm really am looking forward to this movie. Mm. I'm not going to say he's a bad actor, but I just haven't seen him in anything that I'm like, yes, you're definitely a good actor. Did you? Yeah, how did you know. feel about him in Baby Driver? I mean, he was he was fine, but also his character in that is very like standoffish and very sure. withdrawn. So I, I, I feel like it, it it worked, but I I, I couldn't sit, take that and say yes, you're a good actor. Yeah. <laughs> right. He definitely has a bunch of charisma. He's yeah. very very. Mm-hmm. Very interesting to look at. I just can't see him acting. I mean, he did it against Kevin Spacey, but I can't see him acting against like Jeffrey Wright, and Nicole Kidman, and being like being able to hold his own. So we'll see. Um, we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, are y'all ready to lift off and talk about Rocket Man? <laughs> nope. Ooh. Let's let's dance away. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's get started. Who wants to go first and tell us um, how you felt about Rocket Man? Ben will. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> so listeners, I'll let you in on a little backstory on me. Um, I have been a Taron Edgerton fan since the moment I saw the Kingsman trailer. I was looking <laughs> at the screen and I saw his face for advertising for a movie, and I was like, yeah. I'm going to spend $12 to go look at that face for two hours. That's what I want to do. And ever since then, I've been a big fan. I've watched him in, you know, he hasn't been in that much, but everything that he's been in from the Kingsman to Robin Hood to uh, that one with Tom Hardy where he plays the twins, like everything that he has been in, I've been like, I'm going to go see that. So when I saw the Taron Edgerton, was going to be playing Elton John, who is a famously gay man. I was like, that is from my dream journal. This is great. <laughs> I love this. And I had to say, I had a good time in this movie. I really liked it. I really liked, you know, the whole experience of it. There there are several moments we'll get into later that really got me. Um, and I thought that it was really interesting. I thought that they took some chances. And um, I thought that it was pretty big it was pretty broad but for what it was trying to do i had a really good time and i got to stare at taron edgerton's face for two hours so money well spent yeah lucas what about you so i'll preface it with the i don't like musical biopics at all there's not a single one that i have liked can um, can I interrupt? How, <laughs> I could I couldn't think of another one. What are some other ones? Well, obviously we had we had Bohemian well, Rhapsody come out recently. Yep. But that wasn't really yeah. a musical. That was like it, it, a musical biopic is a biopic about like a musician in this sense. You know, not okay. not, not like songs. a musical like theater, but like musical as in there is a lot of music. Oh, I yeah. see, I see. So you weren't referring yeah. to the style in which like the characters sing songs to move the plot forward. Right. Correct. Like Correct. this. No. Like this. He's just talking about a biopic about a musician. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. 
And I think that's where this succeeds is not doing that traditional, I'm just singing the songs at performances and that's where we get to hear this, where it actually does move the plot along. And and that to me was my favorite part of this movie is getting to see those transitions and stuff like that. Um, but for me still having to tell somebody's entire life story for the most part in two hours is difficult for me. And mm-hmm. it's very hard to kind of follow that through. And you can have some threads and some themes that kind of work their way through. But for me, it just feels uh, forced or there are parts of it that I'm just like, man, this whole section could have been its own movie. And I would love to hear more about this. And yet it feels like we're putting it in here just because it happened and we have to put it in here. Um, and so I really get caught up in those parts of, of kind of biopics, especially about musicians. And I think a lot of it is because they a lot they try to follow the same track where um, he is very talented and everybody loves him and yet his childhood is hard and he goes on to be great and discovered and then you get a whirlwind of um, everybody loving him and him falling into drugs or alcohol. Drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Exactly, exactly. And then he hits rock bottom and then things come back up. And, And yes, I know that's the story of like, every story but (laughs) but it's just hitting those specific beats every single time with musicians and um there's not a lot of differentiation there and then you get the at the credits at the end where they tell what happened to them next and i think usually for me a lot of those credits at the end i'm like oh well why didn't you just add those in i want to i want to know yeah (laughs) so but for me specifically this movie i thought I didn't like it, but I really liked the different things that it tried. Um, I, there's a lot that I want to talk about in spoilers, um, but I was really impressed with kind of how it handled a lot of a lot of the things in his life. Sandra, how do you feel? Well, before I get into how I felt, I want to know if either of you saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, I did. So and and so as did I. Um, so I mean, you can't. It's really hard to talk about this movie without comparing it to Bohemian Rhapsody because they are. You know, they have a lot of similarities and they came out so close to each other. And a lot of people are looking at Bohemian Rhapsody's success to to see whether this movie will succeed or not as well. Um, I really didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody. I would, I, I would sum it up as people like Bohemian Rhapsody because Queen songs are great and we like to listen <laughs> to Queen songs. But as totally. a film, I think it's very poorly crafted. And at, at sometimes it's hard to pinpoint why. And the best way I could pinpoint why Bohemian Rhapsody is a bad film is because to me, there were like no transitions in the movie. It would be scene after scene of impassioned speech or musical sequence or all these different things, but there was no meat on the bones to transition um, between all of those sequences and grand moments. And it felt like a, like a slideshow versus a movie, you know? And what makes me love Rocket Man is that this movie is its best in its transitions. Um, like we said earlier, this movie decides to take a biopic about a musician and turn it into something that feels like a Broadway musical. There are dance numbers, there are characters bursting into song in the middle of scenes, not just at performances or recording sessions. Um, there's costume changes that happen in front of our eyes and set changes that happen in front of our eyes and, and really creative transitions that you could only do in film and that you couldn't pull off in a theater, but that still have that theatrical like vibe to it all. And so there's a lot about this movie that you said, Lucas, that I agree with that I don't think it's 
an expertly told story. But I, when I left the theater, my jaw hurt from smiling so much. I just (laughs) had so much fun during this movie that I can't, I'm, it's really hard for me to critique the rest of it because it all happened in such a flash that I enjoyed so much that I really feel like I need to see it again to really even critique it properly. Um, Wow. That's an interesting take because as I was watching it, I was like, wow, so much of this movie is about this man's misery. That's interesting that for the yeah. for the majority of it, you were having a good time. I was like, man, he's, it's so sad. No, and obviously, I'm not. I wouldn't say that I was happy about the sadness. Um, no, no, no. The the grinning that. that I I'm I'm talking about is because of. I feel that this movie had so much imagination in mm. the ways that it tried to tell this story, and sometimes okay. that worked, and sometimes it really didn't. But I really appreciate a movie with ambition and this movie really tried a lot of stuff and i totally. i will always prefer that over a movie that tries to play it safe i think um, i think that it's really tough um to do the biopic kind of like we talked at the beginning of this section and i think like like kind of like my confusion i haven't seen a a music biopic that was actually a musical. I, I'm sure there is another one, but I can't think of one. And so it's very fitting for a gay biopic to be a musical and a legit musical. Yeah. And I thought that was really ambitious and cool. Yeah. There were, I mean, in spoilers, I can detail a lot of the, the parts that made me like wiggle in my seat and, you know, burst and grin and, um, those those are the ones that are burned to my head. There are a few sequences that I remember thinking, "Oh, this isn't very good," but mm. I don't I don't even care um, because I had so much fun during the fun parts. Um, well, I will and also. Sandra, s- I want. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say I think that Taron Edgerton like is so talented and brings so much to this film that even just watching him put forth all of his effort and do this performance regardless of how the rest of the film turned out would have made me also still just like have a great amount of joy for this film. The boy excels. Yeah. He is truly great. Um, and and yeah. I was going to ask uh, Sandra and Lucas, what is your uh, relationship with Elton John's music going into this movie? For me, I knew a couple of his big hits, but it wasn't like, you know, like Bohemian or like Bohemian Rhapsody, where I knew all the Queen songs. Did you, were you guys well versed in Elton John's music? Did you have a relationship with it? Was it pretty new? Yeah. What was it? I think, yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I definitely knew um, the hits, as in like I'd heard them and I could sing the chorus, but if they had changed the words of the verses, I probably wouldn't have noticed. Mm. And then some of his less known ones that was in there, I was like, I don't, I couldn't, you, you know, I couldn't tell if it was an original or not. I know, I know they did use his songs for all of this, but if they'd thrown an original in there, I would not have noticed. I think there is an original song in there, but like you, Lucas, I couldn't tell you which one it was because, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I'm not someone who grew up listening to Elton John. I, I obviously know his hit, like the biggest hits, Tiny Dancer and Rocket Man and, and Benny and the Jets and... Um, mm. I've heard those in pop culture, but, uh, oh, in your song, of course, I've, I've always known that, but there was plenty of music in this movie that I had never heard of before or barely heard, you know, like maybe I could, I 
picked up a melody or, or two, but that I was really unaware of what the story behind the songs were, when the songs were released. So like a lot of this, um, this movie, I, I, I kept saying, kind of went by me in a flash because so many things happen so quickly. And as someone mm. who doesn't really know Elton John's story that well or his music, you don't really know like what the chronological order of anything is. Like, I don't know, was this song yeah. released in the 70s or the 80s? Or or was this, um, did this happen in the exact order that they're happening in the film? And we can talk more in spoilers about the perspective of the film, but I will say that that wasn't a problem for me. That I, while I didn't always understand what was happening as far as like, again, what songs were released when and if, if this was all accurate, I also didn't care because of the way the story is framed. Um, and like I said, we can talk about that more in spoilers, but yeah, his music is something that, um, I didn't know fully, but now I'm excited to like be welcomed into it. What about you, Ben? Did I, did you already talk about your relationship with his music? I mean, it's the same as y'all. I, I knew the hits, but I had never... I never owned any of his music, never had any CDs or records or anything like that. So this was a really uh, introductory experience to not only the man, but his music. And uh, I wonder I wonder what the diehard Elton John fans think about it. Yeah. Uh, if there are any listeners, hit us up. Let us know. It, it would be great to go, I mean, not to stereotype, but it would be great to go see this with someone a little bit older than us that really yes. grew up like as an Elton John fan and, and knowing his discography really well. Yeah. Some older Queens. If you want to go see rocket man, <laughs> hit me up. We'll hit go. Ben we'll have a good Austin. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, is there anything else we want to get out of the way before we get into spoilers? I think all the performances are great. I, it's really fun um, to see Jamie Bell in here. I feel like Jamie oh, Bell yes. is Woo! an actor who's in a lot of things. And this is the first time that I've been like, yes, yes, Jamie Bell. He is really bringing it. He is so good in this movie. Lucas, did mm-hmm. you say, did, or did you see um, film stars don't die in Liverpool? Oh, yes. Ooh. that I forgot about that. He's that, great in that. He is truly great in that. That's true. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Jamie Bell really is wonderful in this. Um, yeah, he just is like solid. And... Um, I'll again in spoilers there are, I have a lot more to say about his character but um, yes yeah props to I him. really like yeah I really like the direction Jamie Bell is going he's been an actor for decades two decades at this point yeah. and uh, I wonder if he's you know stepping into you know the young child actor who grew up and now has the crazy good chops right is he our next yep. Leo is he our next somebody else who fits that category I don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, also, I think we should also say before spoilers, Richard Madden is in a really fun role in this movie and, um, uh, really took my breath away in a particular sequence. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm also, <laughs> I, you know, as someone who didn't watch Game of Thrones from the beginning, like I didn't get to see a lot of his performance in that. And, mm-hmm. um, Lucas, the bodyguard really is going to be the next series I start. I really swear it is. So, yes, um, yes. you have to now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this movie has really made me a, a big fan of his. I have some Good. words about Madden. We'll talk about those okay. spoilers. I, I can't wait okay. for them. Let's do it. Let's get into spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Now, crack and gas. Spoilers. Remember you wanted this. Okay, Ben, let's let's start with that. What do you what are your Madden feelings? 
Okay, well, so for context, this is like the first thing I've ever seen him in. I didn't watch The Bodyguard, didn't watch Game of Thrones. So I ha- I came to him and his character with fresh eyes. Um, and I thought he did a, a really good job. I thought he did a... I, first of all, the context and the conversation about him being in this movie really affected me. And people were like, oh man, he's going to be in this movie. He's going to be, you know, the love interest or whatever. And I was like, okay. And I thought he did a really good job, but I also don't understand the hype. Is that is that a hot take? I don't get it. Like, I've seen his face. I'm like, okay, it's like... Like, you if, don't find well, him swoon-worthy? Is that what you're saying? It's like if William Defoe slowed down. Like, <laughs> Wait, are you talking like, about his performance? No, I'm talking about his face. Oh, yeah, this is a bad take, then. This is a bad take. No, I'm sticking with it. I don't get it. I th- I see him, and I'm like, this person is really intense, and I love how much Lucas loved that. Uh, I don't get it. He's not, you know, okay, he's some sort of prince. He's got the, like, Jonathan Taylor Thomas middle part hairstyle. Not feeling it. I, I, don't, I don't get it. And ben. so him in this movie, I thought he was really... Uh, I thought he did play a snarky, smarmy guy really well, but uh, but I don't get it. What's going on? Well, Why are we all about him? Let me tell he you, had I a get wig it. on. This isn't what he actually really looks like in it. real life. <laughs> I know, but I've seen him when he, what he looks like in real life, and I'm like, okay, got a little Sweeney Todd thing going on. Not feeling ben, wow. Our, our taste in men have always varied greatly, Ben, and so this is just <laughs> another example yeah. of that. Yeah, I think he's like so crazy hot in this movie and does such a great job of um like exuding that sex while also like being a cold-hearted bastard and even though he is like one of the villains of this film and is cold-hearted and pushes Elton to the point of breaking down and and he's definitely a villain there is um like a sense of smarts to him that this film portrays that I kind of appreciate. Like a lot of the things that he's saying, he's not wrong. You know what I mean? Right. He's not yeah. like saying anything completely out of turn. He's just kind of an asshole about it. And, um, and so I, I really thought that this character was great. Now the sequence that I was talking about that really like blew me away was, you know, there's plenty of these like, musical number dance sequences in the film that, uh, you know, are part montage, part dance sequence, part, you know, song. And the one between the him and El- and Taron Edgerton where they go on a shopping spree and they kind of like mm. create the fabulous lifestyle and he guides him through becoming a rich, fabulous, famous person really was so fun. Uh, I think that was, was that Honky Tonk Cat? I think Is so, that the song? yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that's what it was. I was honky cat, honky cat. Yeah. I was taken away by that. I was, you know, just wiggling in my seat. I loved it so much. <laughs> and so that, like I would, that's the YouTube clip. I can't wait to have access to of any part in this whole movie. I think that is the most fun sequence. I think the one that touched me the most was, um, the, the actual rocket man. Yeah. Song, where mm. he, he he goes in the pool and they take him out and he transitions into, you know, the Dodgers outfit and goes on stage and the smile he puts on. And that whole transition of, you know, you know, c- clean you up and get you back out as soon as possible kind of situation. Yeah. Like I thought that was a beautiful way of demonstrating that. And that transition was amazing. Does and that, that's, I think, just, yeah, go for does it. Does that sequence include what, I mean, there's so many, I think, clever 
transitions in here. Does that sequence include the one where he shoots into the sky and lands in the airplane with the smoke on his shoulders? Yes. yes. Little yep. things like that, I'm such a sucker for. And this movie <laughs> also, had a did, lot of things like that. Was that the sequence where they uh, completely undressed Taron Edgerton? And <laughs> yes. Because that was a great sequence. <laughs> for a lot of reasons. <laughs> Um, for, a, for a lot of artistic and important and significant reasons. <laughs> right. No, but I really, I mean, I know what you're saying, Ben, but also, yes, I really do think that it was a great sequence. Like seeing mm-hmm. the idea of like a celebrity kind of being passed from person to person and not having really any control over their body and just being, you know, manhandled and shaped and formed and then thrown back out on the stage. Um, this is why I love theater and, and sequences like this because... We got, we understood what that meant to him without having to be so literal about it, you know? And, um, and, and we got like a fun, graceful, beautiful way of showing a painful thing, um, which I, I really love that. Mm. And I think both of those songs that we just talked about illustrate a great way of talking about those things that kind of are pretty cliche in these biopics about musicians. (laughs) And I think it's really, it's much more fun to see them represented that way than the way you kind of go through, uh, like his, his marriage to, I forget her name, but Renata, the the woman he's married to, Renata, that is the most boring thing in the world in this movie. And yet it could be an interesting part of his life, but we know nothing about it. She's, you know, she's part of this movie for like a minute maybe two mm-hmm. um and just those parts where it's just we're just going to recap parts of his life are very boring and it's the actual musical numbers where they're transitioning from one feeling to another that i really really enjoy. see i want right. to i, think I a- want to say that the renata sequence it's like three scenes right it's mm-hmm. he meets her yeah wedding day and then they wake up in their separate bedrooms and mm-hmm. they have their silent breakfast, and he says, I'm they sorry. They have their Citizen Kane breakfast. They say, he yeah. says, I'm sorry. <laughs> she says, I know. And I thought that was like a really beautiful, incredibly concise way of giving us all the information we needed about that chapter of his life. You know? Right. Like, this, we didn't need to know th- more about that story. And they did it. I appreciate the conciseness of that and, and that it was heartbreaking. Totally. There were several moments in this movie where the the drama was really understated and was really sophisticated. One of the scenes that probably my favorite scene dramatically in this movie is when uh, Elton John goes, to, goes back and sees his dad um, after years. Yeah. And he has this crazy interaction where he's trying to connect with his father. And his father is so, not only only uh, emotionally unavailable to him, but so available to his new sons. Um, the thing that stuck out to me was the moment where his father asks Elton to sign the record. Yeah. Um, I thought that was an incredibly dramatic moment. I thought that was brilliant. And just an incredible way to show that one character... That their relationship is so different to each of them. One of them, you know, Elton is trying to reconnect and trying to establish some sort of, you know, familial love. And his dad is like, no, 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 you're somebody who's so apart from me that I'm going to ask for an autograph. Like, I thought that was really well done and heartbreaking. I thought that scene was really well done. However, I'm going to, this is where I will put on my critical hat and say that <laughs> all this stuff when he was a kid and with his parents, 
um, mm. didn't do much for me. The kid stuff. No. Nope. Uh, nope. All the kid scenes. Now, the kid playing the piano was like, this is fun. This is cute. You know, like, I didn't mind those, like, child genius kind of discovery scenes. But all of the, like, I have a bad mom. I have a dad that doesn't love me was just, there wasn't an ounce of nuance to those. They were just no. as, you know, broad as you could be. Um, Elton John was a producer on this movie, and in those scenes, you really felt it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, also, I'm. let me say, I was not feeling the Bryce Dallas Howard performance in this movie. Oh, mm. thank you. Yeah. No. There's one... Why? There's, Why was she in this it, movie? It was very... It was odd. There is one moment that she has that really made me laugh that, like... It was like, I know this one. This tells me who this woman is. It was a great, just little moment where she's like, he's a kid. She's leaving the house and she does this air kissing noise that's very comical. Um, yeah. That made me laugh and I loved it. And then everything else, I just was, you know, kind of confused by the casting, by the performance. It just didn't feel like it fit into the rest of the film yeah 100 percent agree it's so weird yeah yeah she was she was really over the top and she was very uh talia shire just really you know too big for this movie yeah um, didn't really fit um one thing that i want to say that i really appreciate i mean we're, i'm gonna keep comparing it to bohemian rhapsody in contrast to not just bohemian rhapsody but like other biopics is that one criticism of this film is that Elton John himself is a producer. And so this is not an unbiased story. You know what I mean? Like, right. But what I appreciate that this film does is from the very beginning, you know what to expect because you, one, it sets the tone of kind of being on the nose and cliched and cheesy because you have him dressed as a demon walking into a group therapy session. And so in a grand costume that was like, I'm, I'm here for this kind of level of camp. Right. But then in addition, the movie starts with, you know, him telling him, telling us his feelings about his life. And he even makes that joke about, or, or kind of aside where he says that he and his writing partner, Bernie, have never fought in their entire career. So right off the bat, we know he's not the most reliable narrator and that <laughs> this is going to be a story about the way he felt about his life and not necessarily an accurate, you know, factual depiction of everything that happened in his life and career. And so because it sets us up that with that tone and that like knowledge in the beginning... The rest of the movie, I didn't have to worry or question. Did this actually happen this way? Did it happen in this order? Did he really say that? Did they actually do this, go on this night out together? All those things that you might be wondering during a biopic, I didn't have to worry about that. And I appreciated the film releasing me from that like burden. Interesting. Yeah, I see, I felt that same release, but it came from the moment when he was in that recording studio and came up with his name, Elton John, by looking at the picture of the Beatles and being like, my last name will be John. Like, I was like, oh, this is not real. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing that I think is really interesting about this film, it's not really a critique, but more just an observation, is, you know, this is a musical where, like we said, it's, you know, 
characters break into song that aren't performers that you know they they sing their feelings in the middle of a scene that kind of thing and um normally if that would make sense when it's a character where the songs are describing how that character is feeling and what their thoughts are right however all of these Elton John songs were the lyrics were written by Bernie Taupin and so these aren't songs that Elton John wrote about his own yeah. inner life and feelings <laughs> and experiences, mm-hmm. right? These are songs that Bernie Taupin wrote about, you know, presumably his inner life and feelings and experiences. And so um, that's kind of a strange way to present this Elton John story when we all know that these words are Bernie's. Um so I, I thought that was a little strange and it's just a, something to think about while I was listening to it. But also, it made me really want a movie about Bernie. And mm. I think that there could be a whole other film that's just about Bernie or a movie that is about equally about Elton and about Bernie where you get to see what is it like to be a lyricist that writes about you know, your point of view and your memories and your feelings, and then someone else sings those and becomes famous for singing those songs. Like, what is that that experience like to be the person behind the curtain? Dude, that's um, kind of what I thought this movie was going to be mm-hmm. at the start. Yeah. When they, you know, because I, I knew they had that working relationship. They meet at the beginning. They're best friends. They have kind of that, 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 that closeness that really does play throughout the movie of just he he ends up being the most important person to him in this film. Um, um, and I thought that that's going to, that was going to come up a little bit more. And the fact that it didn't felt very weird with all of the songs right. being his songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's something that I think this movie, it's definitely like coming from a very singular perspective and it's trying to tell a very specific type of story about his, Inner, Elton's inner life and, and feelings with his family and relationships. And there just wasn't room for a different type of story to also work in. Um, and I, I'm okay I with did, that. I thought um, one of the things that I did think the movie got really, really right was the casting of both Taryn and Jamie Bell. Totally. Because I think to play that character, um, Jamie Bell has this like simultaneous strength, but also vulnerability. Like when you look at his mm-hmm. face, you're like, you can read so much into what he's thinking and he is so, so open, but he's also a really handsome, masculine, strong dude. So he had these dualistic characteristics that were really important for this guy who was being the Robin to Elton John's Batman, who was taking over the world. And I thought that their chemistry and their dynamic was so spot on this whole movie. Um, And yeah, Jamie Bell, man, he was so great. Yeah. Also, he was great, but also this movie, Bernie Toppin, the person, comes out of this movie like smelling like a rose. Like they, oh, oh yeah, they incredible. <laughs> they don't like blame him or give him any flaws. Like the the biggest flaw he gets is that he hangs out with a girl one night and leaves Elton alone at a party, which is like a mm-hmm. pretty forgivable <laughs> sin, right? Yeah, the biggest flaw is that he loves too much. Yeah. Like, that's it. And yeah. so you, what's interesting about that is you can really tell, again, this is coming from Elton's per- perspective, that the deep love he has for Bernie because of 
the way that we see him in this film is how Elton sees him, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. pretty cool. Although, it, like I said, it does make me want to have a more human characterization of what this person was really like, you know? Um, one thing I wanted to mention, a sequence that was super heartwarming for me was the whole montage that felt very much like a rom-com where they met and then walked and talked for seemingly hours and then kind of eventually had to separate, but then felt inseparable for the rest of, you know, their career. And It was a meet cute. Yeah. And Ben, it very much reminded me of the day you and I met each other. Um, oh my god for anyone Sandra Amstead <laughs> I'm gonna like, air our personal laundry out on this podcast this. Ben and I met in college and um we we met in like a learning studio in our library and we were working on a we he we were working on a project together and Ben and I stayed in that room in the library for four hours just talking hours about movies and comedians and entertainment and, you know, things that we were interested in. And it was just an instant soul connection. It was like, there was a, there was an associate of mine who was there. He left, like he left in the middle. It was amazing. And so (laughs) we were like, bye. Yeah. Watching this movie, it felt very, in all the fantastical nature that this movie had, that sequence felt very realistic and it, it is just like sometimes that happens. Sometimes you meet someone and you immediately connect with them and you have the same perspective on art and you just talk for hours like the two of them did. And then that friendship lasts for a very long time. And so that was really... And then nine years later, you're <laughs> guest hosting their podcast. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was very moved during that. Um, and... Mm. Yeah, and there were so many really, like like you said, touching moments. The moment where he kind of comes out to Bernie, I think, is a very touching sequence. Um, yeah, they handled that really well, too. Yeah. The Is it the Benny and the Jets? Is that the song that's playing when Taron Edgerton is wearing, like, that black thing? And then he, like, crawls across the stage into the the group sex sequence you know what i'm talking about i know what the the kind of like where he's like falling apart kind of sequence where he's disoriented yeah Yeah, but i I couldn't tell you what song was playing in that sequence so i went and saw this movie with my boyfriend and he knows that i have a big crush on taron edgerton and for most of the movie i was like fine you know like maybe it was the gap in (laughs) the teeth maybe yeah i kept it together maybe it was the hair i don't know but at that moment when taron edgerton appeared on the screen in that outfit it's like it's black i think it was like it for some reason i'm thinking it's a onesie even though it's not it's whatever he's wearing something that's really good looking i grabbed my boyfriend's arm and i squeezed (laughs) so hard that he was like he leaned over was like babe you're hurting me (laughs) it did me so good yeah Uh, and i want to say that taron edgerton as elton john was a great choice you know if you're gonna if you're gonna get somebody who's straight, get someone who's really attractive, and they did that. <laughs> well, the casting was awesome. I was gonna say the attractiveness kind of plays against his favor in this movie, right? Because 
Yeah. The whole thing about <laughs> Elton John is that he's not a classically attractive person. And that a right. big part of his persona that I deeply relate to is feeling <laughs> insecure and masking that insecurity with accessories and wild outfits. And so Interesting. <laughs> they did not talk about that in this movie. No, Instead, they yeah. just put a beautiful face on screen. Well, let it sing. They don't fully talk about it they allude to it and i think that they visually kind of try to express that insecurity through his constant need for sunglasses wild glasses and his need for Mm. wild outfits i think that's um implying what's hiding that insecurity um and so but it's weird when they you do that to someone who is truly handsome like i i that that was weird to me that it wasn't addressed like i get it cast him yeah he can sing he can dance it's fun like people enjoy it and it's it's uh i mean it's not supposed to be realistic so it's you know it's his version of himself right his version of himself is not taron edgerton (laughs) yeah yeah it it didn't bother me while i was watching it but i do acknowledge that it you know, it is something that the movie has to like uh, jump over in order to like make the film work. Um, is right. his good is his good looks? They yeah they 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 cast a classically handsome man to play somebody who wasn't classically handsome. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was good. Well, I think they... in addition to being a great, very charismatic actor, he does have a great singing voice. And yes, like mm-hmm. being able to actually sing the songs in this movie makes a big difference because the movie can be so much more creative and imaginative about the way they are presenting this story versus just using recordings of the original singer where you can't do totally. much with them. And so um, I just think the being able to perform the way he did with such great you know vocal strength and acting ability is an achievement he did perform yeah in many ways and something else that i want to talk about that they did was the representation of a gay sexual experience which was awesome yeah it was such it was so great just to see in a big budget a big broad musical biopic um, that they actually depicted this guy's experience having ex- sexual experiences with other men uh, in the ways that it happens. I felt that it was uh, a little too brief. I wish we could have had more, but what they well, did, I thought, you know, was, I wanna say, was pretty ben, good. I I loved it, but I did, <laughs> I did laugh because they did do the call me by your name pan out the window as soon as totally. the sex gets started. The, right? the, cut, the cut away and then it, yeah, you don't see anything. Yeah. Um, G- I know I have been juiced up wi- because... And, and in the, looking it, out of windows immediately after. It's just like a, a trope <sighs> that I will always be aware of now. I know. It's it's really... We're we're making progress inch by inch. Yeah. And what I, it's but a what damn I did, shame, though, that this movie is rated R. I know. It doesn't make any sense. I think the the reason it's rated R is because he's gay and has gay experiences. I think that's the like primary that, reason. And all the drugs. The, the thing <laughs> is, there is... Yeah, I mean, he... There's cocaine yeah. and there's a suicide attempt. Um, so... I, I don't think it's quite the only reason, but I will say that if there wasn't, if there were, if this was a sh- about a straight rock star and I, I just don't know that it would be so easily categorized as an R. I think that they could have, they would have made it work around to, it's possible for this to have been a PG-13 movie. I think they could have easily made it PG-13. I just totally think they chose not to. Like I, I think they wanted to to push for the R. I think the 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 graphic shots of him snorting cocaine probably pushed it over the edge. 
But if they had worked around that, it, they could have made it PG-13. I think the fact that there are uh, there are gay sexual experiences in this film depicted, I think that's kind of something that gives the MPAA a red flag to be like, nope, we got to make this R. Yeah. Which, that's the world we live in. So Yeah. It, it seems like every biopic, I, and I wanted to pose this question to y'all. Um, I couldn't think, how many rock stars, how many famous musicians, how many like astronomically famous people have there been who like handled the fame and just did it well and, you know, lived a normal life. The only people I could think of was like Bruce Springsteen and Beyonce. Like, are there any other rock stars who have been able to handle it? I think the ones that quote unquote have been able to handle it are we might just not know the whole story. You know what I mean? I think mm. fame on this level messes with everyone in some way. Um, mm. And, and yeah. for, for a lot, it may be like drugs um, or depression or, but it, for others, it can be in more sinister or, you know, undetected ways that as, a, and by undetected, I mean to the public and not, not quite so bold and flashy. Um, mm-hmm. So like, and of course this is all me just like speculating about celebrities lives that I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think fame messes with people and I think it's really hard to not just the fame and being known, but the, like in this film, it's the responsibility of paying for so many people's lifestyle, you know, right. That pressure to, um, to create revenue is, I, I, I think, you know, it probably really messes with your head. Mm, totally. Um, oh, one little moment. So I, I mentioned earlier that a lot of the kid stuff didn't work for me. I did want to say that one little scene that did kind of just like spark a lot of joy in my heart was the sequence we get at the very beginning where he's in bed with the flashlight and he starts conducting an orchestra and you see that flashlight on the orchestra's faces. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. That sequence, like, did was it necessary for the film? No. But the visual impact of Incredible. it. Like, it made me feel like I was watching a fairy tale or a dream sequence. Like, it just was so fun and and special. And I little moments were like that were sprinkled throughout this whole film. And I loved every mm-hmm. single one of them. I loved those magical realism moments. They did a lot more in like the first and sec- first half of the second act. Yeah. But I really liked those because I was like, oh, this movie's going to is trying something. They're going yeah. for something. They're not just going right. to make a bland film. Yeah. I was really really impressed. Same. All right, well, I'm really glad that we all got to see this because I have been so excited about this movie and, and I, I really do need to see it again to really fully understand it. Um, let's tell everyone where they can find us online. Ben, where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, you can find me online on Twitter, on Instagram. At, it's BenWeaver27. You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. And you can find all of my social media platforms at, at Sandra Almstead's. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can talk to us as a group on Twitter at Feeling It Pod. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 